The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, Mash Minute. Welcome back to another episode of Mash Minute, the Movies by Minute podcast about the movie Mash. I'm Tierney Steele. I'm Megan Coleman. And I'm Jeff Ferry from The Burbs Minute. Welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. I really wanted to see the exciting conclusion of Frank Burns being a really nice guy. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Burns is such a he's such a sweetheart that guy, right? He's so he's so great. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing could have given it away that that's not how that was going to go. Of course. This is minute 29 that we are being so sarcastic about. It is a minute that starts with Boone jumping up to get medical supplies for Burns, and it ends with Trapper walking over to check the chart of Burns' patient that just died. What a happy, uplifting minute for us yeah. all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uplifting is a, uh, it's a... It's a good choice. Yeah, sure. It, it's also sure. very mash of, like, this guy just dies in the post-op and everybody's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Painless is, like, looking on at all this. You pointed out that he's there yesterday, and it's really bothering me because he watches Boom get up and... Like, I, I feel like it'd be different if he was absorbed in what he was doing, but he's I think, really not. I thought about it since, for, since the, the last episode, and I, here's the disconnect, I think, is this. I think Painless knows that, like, this is just a post-op, so either the guy's okay or he's not, and maybe he just knows to tune Frank out, because he's doing a post-op on one of his patients, because he has his tech with him, mm-hmm. and he's if you hear him talking, he's saying, like, Pinch a bit, the lips looks pretty good. So he must have done some facial reconstruction on somebody. So he's doing a post-op on his patient. If this wasn't Frank, if this was Hawkeye or one of, or a trapper or something, he was like, hey, I need some help. He probably would have ran right over there. But he's probably like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's just Frank being Frank. Well, Frank, as we know, is my favorite person to hate. Uh, yeah. And mm, he's not exactly the brightest bulb in the shit all the time. And on an emotional level, he's sort of his own, he's on his own level, I guess. No one reacts to Frank banging on a patient's chest? I, well, I mean, and how long have all these guys been at this in this theater? <laughs> have these guys all been in Korea for like a year? Because if you see something enough times, you just become, it. I mean, on day one, that's probably crazy for you. On like yeah. day 400, you're like, whatever. It just means nothing to me. <laughs> In minute 29, we just go with it. (laughs) But we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe everything will be fine. Trapper (laughs) walks in. Can I just point out how perfectly, I mean, I know why it looks like the TV show, but God, it looks just like the TV show. (laughs) (laughs) With a little, like, the curtain kind of making the doorway that you have to go around one side. Yeah, I mean, because obviously they they make it look like the things, but this is also how I assume their place probably really looked. If it was this nice, which it probably wasn't. Yeah, this is the cleaned up version. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll give them this much. The hospitals usually are the nicest place mm. because they have to be. Like, they'll try to give them some sort of structure. Meanwhile, the actual people are living in tents that are maybe not 
maybe just as nice as the ones you see, but just with three times as many people in them. Mm. This is, oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to put off what happens with Burns because it pisses me off. And I would rather know if you are comfortable talking about your experience, basically just being Hawkeye as far as I can tell, right? Well, I mean, yeah. You and Ellen Alda just jam all yeah. the time. Actually, Thank you for you, character inspiration. If I, if I was anybody in this crew, I would be Radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was when I was on active duty, I didn't do medical stuff. I worked on the planes. So I worked on the flight lines. Like, I used to load bombs and stuff on F-15s. So I went from that to medical. And this is not... I'm, the, how they show it is not right. But it's not a million miles off from the way it really is. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, we don't do it this way anymore. Like having army hospitals like out in the field mm -hmm. the whole goal now is to get people out of there as fast as possible so we've ch thankfully they've changed a lot of things since back then everybody now knows how to do cpr everybody knows how to do wound care we have to go every year to self-aid care figure out how to do like we, we all know how to to stop wounds how to do tourniquets everybody knows how to do that stuff so what you, the goal would be this somebody gets hurt on the battlefield their buddy patches them up they throw them on a helicopter they get them back to a a, like a little bit of a clinic hospital thing. They stabilize you and they fly you out of the country. They want you out of the country in 24 hours. This is what Germany is for now, right? <laughs> yes, and they fly you in the launch stool. Yeah, they fly in the launch stool in Germany. And then they fix you up as much as they can and then they send you back to the United States. Because apparently it only took, you know, 2,000 years of wars to realize, like, um, if you leave people in a, in a war zone, they will eventually catch something and get sick and die. <laughs> And that's the good possibility. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because yeah. if you look, if you look at like a casualties through, especially, I mean, just American wars or all wars, they'll show you this high number of people that died. And usually most of them aren't from battlefield wounds. I mean, I think in the, it's a civil war, 500,000 people die, but only like one third of them are from wounds. Yeah. The rest of them just get sick. <laughs> you put enough guys in the field all together and disease goes around pretty fast. Yeah. You know what also helps when you have no idea how sanitation should work? <laughs> oh, that's also a problem. When this is like the first war where everybody's like, maybe we should put gloves on and clean our hands. <laughs> you know, you know those uh, sterilizers? Let's let's bring a couple of those with us this time and see how yeah. it goes. Yeah, I think this mo the movie, you don't get it. But again, the TV show ran for 11 years. So you get a bit more of they would be gotten off the field, taken to the aid station, right? Is that what yeah. they're called? You and hope. then to the MASH, <laughs> and then to Seoul or Tokyo, I guess, was the goal. Yeah, but there was the theory was you could go to the MASH hospital. They would, if you weren't hurt, I mean, if you're only hurt a little bit, you know, if you go to an aid station, you're like, you're fine, and they'll send you back. Oh, yeah. But, like, people could stay in these MASH hospitals for, like, a long time. And, like, you don't want them to be there. You want them <laughs> to leave. Uh, this also would have been the first war that we fought that was, we had the integrated force by then. Mm -hmm. They weren't separated by color anymore. This would have been the first one where everybody got to fight together. So I'm sure How that was- How well did that go over to start <laughs> it, I'll, I'll tell you this, it always goes a lot over a lot better than they think it's going to. Because the people realize real quick, like, oh, we're all in the same dumpster fire together. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the same thing now. Because since I've been in, when I started, there were still don't ask, don't tell, mm -hmm. no homosexuals, no nothing. And then, like five years ago, one day there's like, nope, we don't do that anymore. Totally changed. And I watched the guy give the speech about this, about saying, this is the way it is now, you know, learn to live with it. And a guy raised his hand and said, well, it goes against my religious beliefs. And this general's like, I don't care. <laughs> Sucks to be you, sir. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I, did you think that was a request? 
He's like, because it wasn't. <laughs> He's like, this is an order from your commander in chief. Is, is that clear enough for you? And everybody's just like, and then he goes, is there any more questions? There was not any more questions. <laughs> So, like, once they make the decision on something, like, no, that's the way it is. Oh, well, I, you know, it's some guy from wherever is like, oh, I've not, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this black soldier being here. I'm sorry. That's tough for you. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. You'll get over it because he's going to be next to you for the next three years. Yeah. Try some meditation and get to know him better. <laughs> uh, the second part's the important part. Get to know him. <laughs> and you realize, like, oh, you know what we have in common? We want to be anywhere else but here. <laughs> Let's be best friends. <laughs> Were you a MASH fan beforehand? Like, I'm just oh. trying to figure out what Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I loved MASH growing up because even when I was real little, it was probably just starting syndication. So this is probably like 83, 84, 85. It just went off the air. When the MASH song used to come on, my parents said I would stop and stare at the television. Oh. And then, like, I grew up and you know how, I mean, when I grew up, we had like two TVs. So it was like, oh, you want to watch something? We're watching MASH. So, so were you. <laughs> like... You're five years old, guess what? You're going to find out that Alan Ault is a pretty funny guy. Yes! You know, I really... Uh, kids these days, no. Yeah. Uh, we, we have one television, because we have a two-bedroom apartment. Three people live in our apartment, and one of them can't talk or walk yet. So we're kind of living in a throwback, and I'm very curious to see how long that lasts. Yeah, it lasts until you don't want to fight with them about the TV anymore. When it's just like, yeah, watch whatever you want, I don't care. I'll go, I'll go in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into Burns, I have one more observation, because I was looking at the set very closely, because I'm like, oh, it's just like the TV show. That light bulb, that bare light bulb hanging down in the middle, feels awfully low to me. How does no one walk into that? Yeah, I do feel like I would be walking into that, because I think Boone barely misses it. He doesn't look very tall. No, I just want to, like, I just want to run over to the cord and just, like, raise it up just, like, three inches. That's all the clearance we need. Yeah, they only really need to be that low over the over their uh, stretchers to like see what they're doing. It's just no, it's just in the middle of the room. Great place for it. That won't be inconvenient at all. Yeah, somebody's like, "Why are we ordering so many light bulbs?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, mash supplies. Uh, oh, <sighs> I can keep us away from from burns as long as we need to. And the movie. When did you first see that? Because that seems to make quite a difference in how people feel about it. Uh, I definitely seen. The show a bunch more. Probably, I was still young though, probably 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. So like, I was still pretty young when I watch it. And it was, see, you have the same problem if you watch, no matter which way you watch it, where you have like that weird, like, wait a minute, this guy's not Hawkeye. Like, <laughs> he's Donald Sutherland. I know who he is. Like, these guys were all famous already. I knew who all of them were. Mm. It's like, Robert Duvall, you were in The Godfather. <laughs> Why are you such a jerk now? <laughs> yeah. What really pisses me off is Robert Duvall is doing a great job. Like, that look he gives Boone right before he walks off. But, like, it would have made no damn difference! But, I mean, if, if you don't have to be in the military for this. If you worked in any kind of corporate environment, large place, you know this person. That no matter what happens, it honestly is not even his fault. It just is. The guy was hurt, the guy died. It's no one's fault. And all he has to say is, he doesn't even have to say that. He could have said, listen, I needed a cardiac needle. He's like, well, it didn't matter, you know, the guy was going to die no matter what. That's it. That could have been the whole conversation. Frank always is really good. If, if Frank Burns has a talent, it is being really good at blaming other people. It's never really his fault. It's other people's incompetence. He would not do well, I think, at a retreat where you're supposed to look inward. <laughs> 
because he would just give some kind of BS about, like, yeah. Sorry, Tate, that thought went, was going nowhere. It was going somewhere. I don't know what I was going with it. Anyway. The Frank Burns fight. It just, and he does mention, it don't get mentioned, but, like, he yells at somebody who actually would have cared. We're like, obviously this kid's young. This is, like, I mean, he's probably, like, we're supposed to be, like, 18 or 19. We're like, if he would have said this to me and walked away, I'd have been like, whatever. <laughs> like. Up yours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would have only said that to myself. I would have been like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just walk could off. Could have thought it. Or I might have looked. I might have looked at Trapper and been like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. that guy, jerk over there." I'll even give him a moment of being upset in the moment. He he looks at the patient, and then Bud comes up and hands him the wrong thing, and I'll even let him throw it down and do the. I said a cardiac heal, but then you say, "You know what? It didn't. It didn't. It, like you said, it didn't matter anyway. It wasn't yeah. meant to be. Whatever. You you know, put your arm around the kid and." Yeah, because for all I know, maybe Boone is supposed to know the difference between the needles. Maybe he is supposed to know what a cardiac needle is, so he could still be wrong. But yeah, it's great until he says, it's too late, Boone, you killed him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And again, you would think at this point, he wouldn't have that passionate reaction. But yeah, I'm going to let Robert Duvall have a passionate reaction, and it's still a jerk move. Even with us being generous. (laughs) Yeah. I still think my favorite part of the scene is because he says that and then it cuts over or you see the Ellie Gould over his shoulder and he does the head to the side of like, I can't believe this guy. But then he kind of double takes because he realizes that he said it to Boone and then he starts to realize like, oh, wait a minute, not only did he say it, but like this kid believes him. Like he would have said that to most people. Most people would have been like, ah, go scratch, whatever, dude. Like if he said that to somebody else, be like, whatever, like somebody has been around 15 years isn't going to take that. They're just going to be like, yeah, okay, doc, whatever. But he gets that look in his eyes like, "Uh uh-oh, like this poor kid believed him. And it's time to talk about Bud Court, <laughs> who is, I'm trying to do some quick math because he was, I, I know it doesn't really matter. He's playing an 18 year old essentially, but Bud Court himself was born in 1948 and Robert Duvall was born in 1931. So we are dealing with some significant difference. And it doesn't matter anyway, Tierney, because this is a fictional story and they're playing characters and one's a major and a surgeon and one is poor Boone. Private Boone. Some kid who probably got drafted in. He's such a sweetheart. I'm very sad that his character got folded into radars in the show because it's one of the things that annoys me when they lean too heavily on it in the show. And I would have happily had Boone there as well. I think if they did it today, they would. Because you could have shows today that have sprawling, large characters. Like that show that I'm forced to watch by my wife. The heck is it? Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) There must be 50 characters on that show. I'm on my computer. I'm usually editing when it's on, but I look up and I'm like, who are all these people? Do they have every person that works in this hospital on this show? I can't stand Grey's Anatomy, so I don't have much to contribute to this conversation. (laughs) Apparently you're not alone. (laughs) We've been watching that particular show for so long, we weren't married when we were watching it. We now have an 11-year-old daughter. (laughs) That is insane. I had a nursing major roommate who watched it, and I I can never get into it, but I did, like, I was once in the ER overnight, and they did, like, the shift change, and it was all the young people stuck, and I was like, oh, it's like Grey's Anatomy. I wonder (laughs) if any of them are in love. I'd rather uh, think about this. Let's think about this instead. (laughs) Yeah, I had a slightly different look at it after, one, I was in the military and saw all their stuff, but, like, even before that, like, my mom was a nurse. She worked in the emergency room in Camden, New Jersey. That, I, I mean, if you don't know what that place is like, it's like, if you've ever been to, like, the bad part of a city, just imagine a whole city of that. That's what it is. Every night, she, that was our dinner conversation. Oh, you won't believe who came in all shot up today. Well, thanks. 
pass me some more spaghetti because this is a great <laughs> conversation. I uh, I always appreciated um, Noah Wiley's mom was a nurse, and when he got cast on ER, the first thing she did was made him sit down at the table and learn how to put in stitches on like a chicken breast or something. Because <laughs> apparently that's how you learn. <laughs> I love that. That mental image of being like, oh, that's wonderful. You got cast and you're going to be a big star on a TV show on NBC, must see TV. All right, sit down. We are going to do this right. <laughs> I know one of the things they'll always teach them is this, this ticks off people where I work. Like, I don't know it that well, but they do is most doctors wear their stethoscope the wrong way on TV. I don't know why that is, but I guess they do. Every, every nurse and med tech I've ever talked to all complain about it. Hmm. They were like, no, nope. they, they're like, dude, that's not how we wear it. They're like, first of all, people don't walk around just wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> like like it's airplane and you gotta wear it so people know you're a doctor exactly it's their roman collar yeah <laughs> yeah i try to think oh and, and what bothers me whenever i see bad cpr is the people bending their elbows which i know they're doing so they don't you know so they don't hurt they don't the break the ribs the actor under them but i've seen that seen it live seen someone break the rib oh sorry i just <laughs> yeah i did cpr training most recently when I was pregnant and I was pretty far along and they were teaching us a new method where you don't actually have to use breasts. It's all just chest compressions. And so they brought in those dummies and they're like these, they're really just from like the chest up type of dummies and you use them and they make this clicking noise. If you press down hard enough um, where you're getting, far enough into the ribcage that you could actually like compress on the heart. And I looked at a couple people and said, oh, there's no way I'm getting on the floor and doing this because I will never get back up. I will be the person who will be more than happy to be your buddy to call 911 and relay to dispatch what the heck is going on and play that role, but I'm not getting on the ground. And I had to still pass this course, so I ended up putting the dummy on the table and I'm huffing and puffing to staying alive, staying alive, to compress the <laughs> the poor dummy. And um, I did it, but it was horrible. It was horrible. So here's a pro tip. Um, if you ever had to do CPR on someone and you're with someone else and they're pregnant, have them call. Don't have them maybe do it. Yeah, and then you hope you live in a state where, where if you break somebody's rib, they can't sue you. Isn't there like a good Samaritan law that will, if, as long as you're acting in good faith and as far as you know that person doesn't have a um, DNR or a do not resuscitate order or doesn't have anything on them like a bracelet that says don't resuscitate, like even if you broke a rib or hurt them, I don't think you can be necessarily like charged, you can't be sued or charged for, you know, helping them. Most states, as I understand it now, you're fine as long as you're within your scope of care, which means you're doing something you know how to do. Yeah, which if you're certified, they can sit. But but you can only do what you're certified to do. You can't try to go beyond what you're supposed to already know. Like, so I can do CPR. I can do a little bit beyond CPR, but I can't go beyond what I already know. Like, I can't be like, all right, I think I'm going to open up a stew tracheotomy here. <laughs> yeah. I have a ballpoint pen, and I was informed <laughs> that. Yeah. I've seen this in multiple movies, and it always works. Yeah, I would, if, if I was writing Boone's backstory right here, I would say he's probably only been there for like three weeks. <laughs> so like he sees the people hurt and he sees the blood and he sees all that, but like he's not really involved really because he's not in surgeries it looks like. But like it's a world of difference when somebody says, this is your fault, this person's dead. They don't cover that in basic? <laughs> and that person's a doctor telling you that. Oh, I mean they cover that everything's going to be your fault and they, <laughs> they yell at you a lot that you're going to die and it's going to be your fault. <laughs> 
that might have been easier for him. So we see some crying out of... So Budcourt was actually Walter Edward Cox, but unfortunately Wally Cox became famous before he did. So he took (laughs) Budcourt as his stage name, acting name, name. Um, And what I absolutely love is he had the acting bug basically his entire life, but he also was an artist, painter, And so he got into NYU, got into Tisch, but the acting program was full. So he was admitted as a scenic design major. And then would just like fill up with acting courses on the side. (laughs) He was discovered, he was, my notes are not clear, but he was New York City based, obviously. He was in a musical review discovered by Altman, cast in MASH. And then he was... Brewster McLeod of Brewster McLeod, and he starred in Harold and Maude, which basically launched him. But he was in a major car accident in 1979 that required... I did not read the details because uh, I'm not a medical person, so I don't need to be reading that. But it required years of plastic surgery and physical therapy, so that ain't good. (laughs) And it it is one of those weird, like, you kind of wonder what his career would have been if that hadn't happened things. Because 79 is right kind of in the middle. And he's been in things since. It's not that he stopped acting after that. But he, but Court, I don't think, is a household name. Well, he will be on my podcast because we're going to see him in about two movies. Yeah, you are. He was in Dogma. And... Yes. He's the guy that gets beat up right at the beginning by the three skateboarders. So you see him right at the beginning and right at the end. And I didn't look, he was also in The Life Aquatic, which I just love because it gave us, he was talking about directors he worked with, and he is the quote, Wes Anderson is a trip. And I'm just like, you are charming, sir. Mm-hmm. Robert Altman discovered him. It, we keep running into this weird thing, like, there are people who are Altman's guys and people who are not. Oh, all yeah, all his stuff is either like, I loved working with him, I do every movie with him. The other people are like, I hated every minute I was on set. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> all right. Thank you for making me a star. I will be taking my paycheck now, and we will never speak of this again. (laughs) Well, I'm just assuming if you have to be the type of actor who's just like, yeah, I'm willing to let this shoot roll on for three extra months, and, you know, just the the script is like a suggestion at best. (laughs) Which I've been intrigued by how much was there, like, it seems like in this case, maybe because it was based on a book, it feels much more like a jumping off point. Than in later movies where it's just like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. Well, this movie is almost like three separate movies that are like, they're almost like vignettes all put together. Mm-hmm. You have like the beginning and then you have like the whole football thing, which seems like almost like a separate movie. <laughs> yeah, which characters are acting completely unlike their characters at other points in the movie? Sure. Yeah, yeah that's not weird at all. <laughs> well, we've killed someone. <laughs> how we all How we all feeling about that? Well, I would like to know what uh, Trapper's going to see on this chart. Yeah, I get what, you know, yeah, like you said, these other doctors are doing post-op. And I I didn't pick up on that, that he looks up, because I was just seeing his as like, ah, oh, Burns' face. But you're right. He does look up again once he processes that it's Boone. Because I thought it was when Boone wa- starts crying that he's like, I'm getting involved. But it's it's almost like he sees this coming. Should we move on to Elliot's uh, old feelings? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, I, I assume Trapper will have this all. He'll fix the problem. We're satisfied. Well, if I bummed us out enough for one day is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> if people would like to hear you, Jeff, talk about happier things, what should they do for the love of 
God. Oh, if you want happier things, uh, I mean, there's nothing happier than Tom Hanks. So you could go uh, find us. We did the Burbs Minute. That was the first Movies by Minute we did. We did that way back when there was only 12 Movies by Minutes. Aww, <laughs> that's right. You guys are uh, top tier. Yeah, that, that's back when I was like, I'm going to listen to all these Movies by Minutes. And then the next thing I knew, there was like 150 of them. Like, oh, now it's impossible. How'd you get involved that early? Like, what? I asked you your MASH story. So what's your Movies by Minutes story? I heard uh, a guy I know named Guy Hutchinson. I'd been on one of his podcasts before. He did a, um, it was called uh, the Flux Capacicast. It was about Back to the Future. So he ended up guesting on Back to the Future Minute with Scott Crowley and Nick Jimenez. So then I listened to it because he was on it. So I listened to all of them. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Is there any other movies like this? And I clicked it. And that's when Star Wars was on there. Um, Indiana Jones Minute was running by then. And I was like, oh, these guys are all doing these big franchise movie. What's the craziest thing I could do that's not a major movie? And I'm like, I love the Burbs. I'm going to make this poor fellow from work be my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, uh, I, he had never been on a podcast before. I'm like, hey, you want to be on a podcast? He's like, yeah. I'm like, good. You're my new co-host. <laughs> Megan wouldn't know anything about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Totally. I totally wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah. So at... As of the first episode of The Burbs, our podcasting experience was me guesting on, like, two episodes of another podcast, which was not Movies by Minutes. I knew nothing about it, except for listening to... I When I did Burbs, I had never even listened to Star Wars Minute. Oh, wow. I'd only listened to Back to the Future Minute. And then, in a, you know, to complete the circle, ended up being on Dueling Genre with Scott Corelli, <laughs> huh. where Back to the Future Minute is housed. It's a good place. They have a bunch of Movies by Minutes, and they have um, Geek by Night. Oh, yeah. And they have, uh, the other one they have I love is uh, Immunities. It's like a, like a body snatcher radio drama thing. Oh, I haven't listened to that one yet. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Well, I am now looking over my notes for next minute. And we're going to get to meet a lot of people, none of whom ever did a podcast. It's the saddest story ever told. <laughs> but Alan Alda does. Woo! woo. You can listen to Clear and Vivid with Alan Alda. That's his podcast on communications with all the science work he does. It's really fascinating. He talks to people from all walks of life, some of whom he's known for decades, some of whom he's never talked to before. It's charming and adorable. And I was going to say it's less of a bummer than this podcast, but uh, Dr. Ruth talking about the joy of sex lady talking about fleeing the Nazis isn't, you know, like a happy time. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call it, a, it's it's fine. We're good. We're all good here. How are you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we are not under the fold of Julian Schoenner, but hi, Scott. We're, no, just kidding. We publish on our own. We have the website mashminute.com, which we've cobbled together to try and put one place where you can find everything. But if you're a Facebook person, we have a listeners group called the Mash Minute Post-Up Listeners Ward where hopefully no one will die. Come back tomorrow. We're going to fix everything. Trapper's on the case in minute 30. <laughs>